When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is brought to you by Kill Global Coaching and Consulting. Go to KILNGlobalCoaching.com when you're ready to bake success into work and life. Now for the next episode of Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, president and CEO of the St. John Consulting Group, Connie St. John. Hey, what you drink? So it is kind of a, a very interesting balance, right? Because you, you you don't want to go to total chaos because that's not productive, but there has to be a little bit of challenge. There has to be a little bit of what's going to happen. What can we do? How can we solve? There has to be something to solve to your point or else we'll create something that needs solving and that's not productive either. You know, one of the other things that, you know, when I, when I talk to my clients, uh, one of the things that I know can always create uh, a bit of anxiety is this idea of role playing. They'll have an issue, and I'll say, "Wow, that's a great that's a great issue," and we'll come up with a solution. I say, "Okay, well, how are you going to have this conversation? Let's role play it." And you can see the dread come over their face. Now, you've built an entire experience around role playing, so tell me about that. I mean, how do you get people to voluntarily? Let's even go even further to pay you <laughs> for this role play opportunity, especially uh, with such critical leadership concepts uh, as the ones that you work on. Yeah. So Game Changers Experience, I actually started doing it over about 20 years ago, I think was the first one. And what had happened was they brought me in to do public relations training for a group of 21 churches. You know, they told that leaders had told me, oh, they're having issues with this or they don't know how to handle members when they do that. And so I had an acting troupe and I just brought in a few actors and I said, you know, okay, well, let's bring them up. And I would give them the scenario. That's the key is the scenarios have to be realistic. If you leave it to them to do, 
they don't know how to start it. So your actors have to be well-trained. So for instance, I had one actress come in and say, you know what, I just planted a bomb in the church. And then we watched how that person tried to handle crisis management. You did. Well, why would you do such a thing? And they start going into this whole conversation. What was funny is they forgot one crucial question. And so I stopped them and I said, okay, what hasn't he asked? And the whole audience said, where's the bomb? (laughs) And so he cracked up laughing. He said, I didn't ask. So it was a way of of helping them. The training becomes muscle memory because it doesn't feel like role-playing. When you call it role-playing to them, then it feels different. But when they're in the moment, it feels real. So then when they come in contact with that same situation later, they're pulling on a memory, not something they learned on a screen, not something they read in a book, but something they actually walked through. For instance, with my staff at the music school, we had children there as a music school for children. And we did, you know, missing child situation because that's something that could happen. And so sure enough, the mother came tearing into the school actress. Where's my child? I went up to the room and she wasn't there. What have you done? And, you know, they all go tearing up the stairs. And, but that's a real situation that can occur and had occurred. So I wanted to give them the tools to be able to handle it. Here's the crisis management and all of that. It is transformational, the the training. And what I do is I pre-interview not only their superiors if if I'm doing it for a corporation, but I pre-interview them to find out and I can hear it. I can hear where their pain points are. And people who do coaching, you know what you're listening for. Word choice tells everything. Mm. Tone, all of those things you can hear when they say, oh, and then they ask me to do so and so. I hate when I get a last minute project or and you're like, oh, last minute project is a problem, you know, and that's what the scenario is going to be. And I customize the scenarios based on what those pain points are. And then I prep the actors. The actors know exactly where they're going and the result that I want. I do it personally and professionally. So most of the time it's professional engagement. But I've also done personal scenarios as well if people are working through some family issues. And yeah, it's completely different than anything. Even people who've gone through training where they bring in actors, it's not the same because typically those actors are doing a skit that then you talk about. And it's not that. That interaction with the participants is the key. And it has to be customized. The scenarios have to be customized. And they need guidance if they get lost. If you just leave them out there flailing, they don't want to remember that. They're going to remember it as failure. So if I see them struggling, I stop, redirect them, try this, say these things instead, and then help them get through the the situation. I, I tell you, it's one of the most rewarding things that I do, hearing them you know, come back and say, the way you made me fight for what I wanted in terms of compensation I realized, you know, I'm not going to sell myself short. And sure enough, they came to me with this offer. And I said, you know what? I must not be the person for you because my rate is this. And I see you're only able to deal, you know, pay that much. And they said, I could never have done that before. But because of game changers, it changed the game for me. It so. literally changed the game. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, in another conversation I had uh, earlier this season, we talked to Jared Simmons and we we talked about this idea that leadership is really scenario based and you you've got to find a way to build your catalog of scenarios 
And you know, you can do that by thinking about the things that you've been through personally, because we, we've got some people that have just they've been through a lot and they can pull from a lot of from their own personal experience. And you can also build your catalog from learning, reading, talking to people and borrowing from their experiences. If I can learn from Connie so that I don't have to bump my head the exact same way, <laughs> that's even better than going through it myself. But it allows me to make a better decision, at least a more informed decision. It still might not be the best decision, but it's more informed. And I love the fact that you are actually putting people in that situation because left to your own device, if you if you can just sit back and analyze we all become that church lady or that Tuesday afternoon quarterbacks. Well, I, I would never do that. I can't believe they did. I would never do that. But when you're in it, well, let's find out what you would do. <laughs> okay, so tell me about tell me about this production company, 20 under 21 and no weapon productions. You, you I, I'm gonna tell you, Connie, you're doing a lot of things that you're not supposed to be able to do. I know, right? <laughs> That's my life. That's going to be on my my tombstone. (laughs) She did things she wasn't supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) So No Weapon Productions, as I said, we do film, stage, television, live events. So last year we did 21 Under 21 for the first time. And it's part of an overall campaign, which is the Don't Be a Bully campaign. So there are a few pieces to it. Two of them I can talk about because one is current and one was done. The other one hasn't been announced, so I officially can't talk about it right this moment. But the Don't Be a Bully project, right now what we're working on is We Don't Do That Here, which is a 30-minute musical that goes into middle schools. It's performed by high school students, and it, it is presented to middle school students where bullying is the worst. And it turns them from a victim to somebody who's empowered from a culprit who stops being a bullier and and becomes somebody who recognizes they're good enough without being a bully, it turns onlookers into interveners. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's an amazing production. It rolls out nationally next month. Um, We're presenting at the Art School Network in Chicago, which is exciting. So that's all the art schools around the country. And we're presenting a portion of it from Ellington here in D.C., Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and then LA County High School for the Arts, which is where my angel went. And so, um, and I serve on their board. So they're each doing portions of it that we get to present at this network. That's one piece of it, 21 under 21. So again, thinking about high school students speaking to middle school students, there's that peer, there's that looking up that role model piece. Well, 21 under 21 invited four performers who were under 21 and four fashion designers, two were fashion designers, two were costume designers under 21 to participate in a fashion show concert. So we featured their music and then we do some fashion and feature some music and we did interviews. When we did our first one last year, we found out every single one of them had been bullied. And I mean, bullying is so common that it shouldn't have been a surprise. And yet every single one of them That was just crazy. So the hosts, the people behind the scenes, the models, the fashion designers, the costume designers, every musician, really all of them. But it was so inspiring 
for them to do that. We had two high school students who are costume designers. They were inspired by the people who were just a little bit older than them who were also designers. And the musicians were all inspired by each other. And people in high school watched 21 Under 21. So they want to be part of the next one. And that is part of what we were trying to do was get that inspiration piece. And and they talked about it. They said, I was bullied. And let me just tell you, now I'm a musician or now I'm you know, a fashion designer. I just was in the Brooklyn Fashion Show or whatever it's called, Fashion Week, Brooklyn Fashion Week. And I'm 18 or I'm 19 years old and I just got to do that. So, you know, just know if you're being bullied or if you've dealt with bullying, let me encourage you. You can do it. You can you can make it through that kind of inspiration generation to generation. So going from post high school to high school, high school to middle school, that is part of what we're doing. And that's just one of the types of projects that No Weapon does, you know, feature films, superhero project. Our first short film went, both of our short films went to the Cannes Film Festival in France. Um, You've seen, if you went on the site, you probably saw, have we, have you seen my son? Have you seen my son was amazing. Thank you. That deals with racial discrimination, especially with young black men. And there are certain police precincts around the country that have used it as part of their training. And that was the goal of it, was to get the dialogue started, to get people to see us differently, to see our young Black men differently. It was really powerful and it's still being used. People call me about it regularly because it does, it hits differently. It hits differently. And we did it live in 2015. And then we were planning to do more with it, but I took this other assignment. And then, you know, here we are with, you know, Floyd. And then everybody said, Connie, we need Have You Seen My Son Again? And then we were in the pandemic. So we decided to do it as a Zoom presentation and it was worth it. It still had the same powerful impact, even as a Zoom presentation that could go up on YouTube as it did live or as it could have if we'd shot it with a camera. I'll I'll tell you, it is absolutely well done. Uh, I would encourage everyone to go to noweaponproduction.com. If you do nothing else from this conversation, please, please go to noweaponproductions.com and look up uh, Have You Seen My Son? It really took me on a roller coaster ride. And every time I thought I knew what the, what it was about, it changed. And at the end, not only did I exhibit the emotions that I suspected that you would think that I would exhibit, but I almost felt embarrassed that I too had my own biases about what was going on and what what they were talking about. And it was incredibly, incredibly well done. And to have this be a Zoom production again, just uh, just blew me away. So definitely everyone, everyone go to noweaponproductions.com and check out that production. It was amazing. So, you know, all these things, and, and I said this once before, but all these things that, we've been talking about, someone has told you, I'm sure, that you're not supposed to be able to do, you're, I think you even said, the doctor said, you're not, you're, you're not going to have kids. And you did. And you're not going to be able to do this. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to be on drugs 24-7. So this idea of meeting with heads, heads of state and ambassadors, of course, you can't do that. And 
And uh, you're not going to be able to work. So this idea of owning companies, that's that's out of the window altogether. But yet here we are. I mean, again, I'm going to go back to this question. Where Where did this courage come from to do these things, regardless of what you've heard other people say? You know, I had a mentor, my mom's sister, my mom's oldest sister, Trudy, uh, my aunt before she passed. She believed in me differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it was because of her that I stopped being shy because she would say, um, when I'd say, I just wish I wasn't so shy. She'd say, well, then stop being shy. And I'd say, what are you talking? I, you can't just stop being shy. Shy is what you are. Nope, it's not. Just stop being shy. And she would say, if you weren't shy, what would you say? Oh, I would say, da, 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 da. I had a whole list. And she said, then say that. And she kept telling me, Connie, being shy is a choice. And I mm. felt like it wasn't. I really Ugh. felt like it wasn't. And I speak to this with other young girls, especially young girls, but boys too, but especially young girls. And one year when I was 14, um, we were living in California and I was coming back to Michigan to go visit my Aunt Trudy. And I was so excited that I forgot to be shy because I wasn't thinking about me. And what you don't realize is that when you're shy, you're looking inward. Mm. You believe everybody else is looking at you, judging you. You're judging you. So you're constantly looking inward. And when I was so excited to go home to Detroit, I considered it home for the summer to spend it with my favorite Aunt Trudy. I forgot to be shy. We're roller skating at Venice Beach. And I mean, I'm thinking about, wow, this is going to be so much fun. What's the first thing I'm going to do when I get to Detroit? I can't even think about what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden, all of this attraction, all of this attention from boys. And normally I was just, you know, so they didn't notice me. But this time I was just skating and happy and free. And then, hey, 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 I'm thinking, what in the world is happening right now? And my girlfriend, I was her wingman, right? She's <laughs> saying, oh, I'll be right back. And they'd say, oh, I wasn't talking to you. And we were both like, wait, what? Who are they talking to? Me? Really? And I couldn't figure it out. But in that moment, I realized my thinking is different. Mm. My thinking is different. I'm not thinking about, oh, is everybody looking at me? I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about what was ahead. And to me, that's the difference is focusing on what's in front of you, not just inwardly focused, but focusing on purpose, focusing on things that you can be excited about, looking outward, having something to be excited about, and then looking at that. If you were going to do that thing, what is that thing you would do? And what's the first step you would take to get there? Getting people to look at that. That's part of my coaching, even when I'm dealing with a leader who's dealing with lack of confidence is, you know, what is it that you would do if you didn't have any any reservations or restrictions? Oh, well, I would completely transform the department. I would do this, this, that and the other. Okay, well, let's write that down. Let's see how we would do that. That mindset of recognizing that you can do that. That was it. I literally took it off like a coat. That is how change how quickly change can happen. You can decide, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this instead. Wow. And just reset your intention. Your focus becomes your reality. Whatever you focus on becomes real. Uh, there is a, um, you know, I don't know what to call him. He, they, they say that he is an Indian mystic. I, I think that's a cop-out actually. But Shad Guru, I met him on the internet 
on YouTube. And he talks about the fact that nothing has meaning until I assign meaning to it. And if it's true that nothing has meaning until I assign meaning to it, then why in the world would we ever assign a negative meaning to anything, right? Things, things just are, and then we assign meaning. Uh, but so many of us assign the meaning that confirms our deepest, darkest fears, right? This is another evidence, this is more evidence of me being shy, right? This didn't work out because I am shy. That's the meaning that I'm assigning. Instead of just saying, well, this didn't work out. It's a learning opportunity. Let's do it different the next time. So fantastic. You know, one of the things too, okay, not only does your, does your life debunk all of the things that people uh, have said negative, uh, negatively about your future, your, your life really does bring together this concept of, of jazz, this idea that there really is no script. I mean, there are some ideals, there are some guardrails, there's some milestones, but how you get there is really kind of up to you. It's up to your skill. It's it's up to your daring. You know, you, you've got some pretty, okay, I, I'm going to tell you some of the folks that you list as being your, your favorite jazz musicians, you know, Joe Sample. I mean, if you're going to be in, if you're going to be a lover of jazz, Joe Sample's got to be on your list, right? It has to be. I mean, with or without the Jazz Crusaders, right? However, you want to take take Joe Sample, he's worth having. But Chuck Mangione, Chris Bodie, and then you're going into West Montgomery and the Weather Report. I mean, these are just staples in the jazz community. But I'll tell you, not only are you a lover of jazz, you've got some jazz in your family. So tell me about moms. So my mom, uh, and I was named after her, so I'm Connie Jr. My mom has passed, unfortunately, but she was a child prodigy, a pianist child prodigy. She played classical, jazz, everything. When she was 10, they wanted to take her on a world tour. One of those limitation parents, her mother wouldn't let her, but she was brilliant. Her mother, actually, my grandmother, played the music behind silent films. You know how they would have the pianist play the, yeah. So she she did that. And so my mom, oh my gosh, you know, perfect pitch and um, could play anything. I remember one time we were playing Trivial Pursuit and it said, what key is the dial tone in? And this is back in the day, people, before, you know, phones were only in your hand. We used to have phones on the wall that had a dial tone. You all don't know what that is, but that's how it used to be. So we said, mom, pick up the phone. And she picked it up and we said, what key is that? And I don't know what key it is, but she did. And she said it. So whoever's turn it was got that right because of my mom's perfect pitch. So she was amazing. She was just amazing. And she could play anything. Mom could play, even if she hadn't heard the song. I'd come in after having listened to the radio and I'd say, mom, I heard the song on the radio. It went, dun, 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 And she was like, I think I know where you're going with that. And just go to the piano and play it. Wow. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, that's just so beyond. So I will say this. This is hilarious. So my child, also a musician, singer, songwriter, amazing singer, amazing songwriter, plays keys, same perfect pitch. He was um, or they were um, happy to tell me it must skip a generation, mom. Thanks, babe. <laughs> um, so it said you were just a carrier. So when they were 10, they played the Harry Potter theme by John Williams. <sighs> And so we sent the music. We were living in California. 
sent the music to my mom in North Carolina. Mom, you know, my baby's going to play this for you over the phone. Can you, you know, give any tips? So, you know, my baby goes to town and plays 12 pages of music, right? Mom says something like, you know, that one A flat, that should have been an A sharp. Okay. And I was like, don't you have to say what page it's on? Or, <laughs> and she said, baby, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this one right here, right? And could just play it. I don't have that kind of music ability. Uh. My, my creativity comes in writing. I write scripts. I'm going to stay there. But that brilliance of understanding music to that level is just beyond me. And that was my mom. Uh. And then her brother, my mom was the youngest of five. Her brother, Wade Leggy, he played with Dizzy Gillespie. He was also a pianist. So yeah, we have jazz in the family. And it was so funny. I mentioned, so I ran the music school in California, the neighborhood music school. It's 107 years old, right? And the, one of the board members, I say to him, oh yeah, my uncle played with Dizzy Gillespie. He said, what was his name? And I said, wait, he said, wait, before I could finish, wait, Leggy. And I mean, my uncle died when he was in his 20s. So for him to know, and he was a keyboardist. So that's why he knew. But that was such an amazing feeling to know that I never met him. I never met my my uncle. I only know the stories of Wade Leggy playing with Dizzy Gillespie. But this board member in this, you know, 100 plus year old school, he wasn't 100, but he was, you know, a seasoned, you know, piano player, knew my uncle. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. Uh, I mean, just such a rich and deep background. You are another perfect person to help me put together these three things that connect in my head. They make a whole lot of sense to me because number one, I, I, I literally love whiskey. I love jazz. And every conversation I have with anyone at any time uh, has something to do with leadership. I just, I, people ask me to turn it off and I just don't know what off and on means when it comes to leadership. But in my head, those three connect. Does that analogy work for you? Is there a connection between whiskey, jazz, and leadership for you? Because I'm not really a whiskey drinker, I wouldn't have thought so. But in preparing for today, I understood that link. I understood the smooth taste of whiskey, that recognizing what that does um, and having a taste for that even if you had made it wine, but there's something about that kind of fine taste, that fine music and that fine point on leadership that makes sense to me that become, became an analogy. So I understood it. Mm, I love it. I love it. So it's, it's just the fine tuning of, of having a distinction between what is good, what is effective and what's not. Because, uh, not everything that's out there is good, right? The, not everything that's in this leadership space is effective leadership. I'm sure you've you, you've seen a lot and you've probably read a lot and you're thinking, wow, that's that's a great attempt, but that's not heading in the right direction. And yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to add that to to my definition because like I said, it's hard for me to define because the connection is so clear to me. But uh, you know, so that's why I leverage brilliant people when they come on to help me understand this, understand this connection. Well, well this has been a, an incredible conversation, and I am so glad that the universe has seen fit for us to connect with one another. You know, one of the things that I have really made a commitment to share with my listeners 
through the people that I bring on as my guests is just some tip that they can take with them uh, to be more effective in whatever it is that they're doing, whether whether it's leading thousands or hundreds of people in an organization, or whether it's just trying to get their life a little better, uh, just trying to reach a little higher for that dream that they think might be out of reach. What's one thing that you would offer to my listeners that might help them see tomorrow with a little bit more optimism and a little bit more creativity? So one of my favorite things, and it's one of the things that I teach all of my clients, my children, my friends, is that you have to push the go button. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can get a room of brilliant people sitting in a conference room coming up with brilliant ideas, and they can brainstorm, and I mean, come up with great things and leave and come back a month later and nothing has happened. Mm. They're still just brilliant ideas that somebody put on paper. The key is to push the go button. And especially when I talk to entrepreneurs who I hear are frustrated, I don't know why things aren't moving faster with my company. Um, You're in charge of the accelerator. So if you don't push the go button, it doesn't go. If you don't push it hard, it doesn't go fast. So it will only go as fast as you put your foot on it to make it go. And so that's the, the biggest thing I teach people because that is almost always their stumbling point. And it feels like a risk. I mean, pushing the go button is a little bit risky, but if you don't do it, you're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, I tell people that all the time. You, you have nothing to lose by just trying it. And if you don't push the button, you won't go anywhere. It really frustrates me when I hear business owners saying, I'm just waiting for, okay, well, that's not really going to work. So you can't just wait for it. They don't, nobody even knows. And then there are people who are afraid to consider themselves a whatever it is. I want to call myself a writer, but I haven't been published yet. I want to call myself a this, but I haven't. Nobody knows whether or not you've been published. If you say you're a writer, you're a writer, period. So like you talked about earlier about what you say, Shad Guru, nothing is meaning until I assign meaning to it. If you can't call yourself a writer, nobody else is either. Mm. That's truth. That is truth. Oh my gosh. And push the go button. I like that. I love push the go button. And I'm going to tell everyone, if you're listening to this, you've got to push the go button on going to noweaponproductions.com. I mean, Google Connie St. John. We're going to put her bio uh, attached to this, but Google her because she is just absolutely amazing. Just absolutely amazing. But this No Weapon production just really captured me and and really caused me to think about my work in a different way. And we haven't even talked about half of what you do. I mean, this was just all we could fit on this one conversation. And so I I, want to hold you over if I could and bring you into the VIP room so we can talk a little bit more uh, if you're available. Uh, But for now, I want to raise my glass and just toast to this incredible conversation. Thank you so much for stepping into your skin and just being who you are because the world is a better place because of you. And uh, I just, I can't imagine how better off we would be if everyone just pushed the go button. So with that, cheers. Cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review 
or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.